Welcome to episode <laughs> of the Rise for Educators podcast. The podcast where we empower teachers with tools for self-care. Thanks for joining us today. We are doing this podcast because we want to support teachers. We know educators have a huge role to play in building equity in schools and beyond. We are so lucky to have Lindsay Hawkins with us today. Lindsay is both a Black woman and an educator. We are here today to hear her story. Hi, Lindsay. Welcome. Hello. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Thanks for having me. Lindsay works at St. Charles North High School, and she's an English teacher and the head varsity volleyball coach. And in 2016, she won the American Volleyball Coaches Association Diversity Award. She's also the mom of three beautiful young children and someone I'm really proud to call a friend. I first met Lindsay when my daughter joined the high school volleyball program. And right from the beginning, I was immediately blown away by her and everyone else was too. Um, Lindsay is just such a compassionate person and her program is all about building relationships and strong community. And I don't know anybody that does that better than her. So Lindsay's here to share some of her experiences and stories with us today so that we can learn how we can be allies and advocates for our students, families, and colleagues. Plus, Lindsay's so authentic and insightful, so I'm excited to share her beautiful spirit with all of you today. So thanks so much for being here, Lindsay. Thanks. Okay, so Lindsay, we were just wondering if we could start out by you just telling us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so um, like Holly said, I am an English teacher at St. Charles North, where I also coach volleyball. Um, my husband is a school counselor at St. Charles East, and we have three children. Um, I've grown up in St. Charles all my life. I only ever really left to go to college and a few short years right after when I was studying to become a teacher. Um, but upon getting the coaching job at North, my family and I moved back to St. Charles and the rest is kind of history. So, okay. okay. Um, so we've been talking and I know Lindsay, we were just at an event together on Monday and one of the conversations that we were having is like, how is life different for you? Mm -hmm. Um, your daily life compared to, uh, what, I might know as a white person. Yeah. And the other thing that we were talking that I wanted to talk about are like, what are some formative experiences that you think have maybe led to some of that? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I think is just kind of important to understand about my story is that, you know, I was adopted um, at a very young age by two wonderful parents. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up in St. Charles and my parents are both white. And so along with me, they also adapted two other black children. And so from the start, we've always kind of stuck out in St. Charles. Um, but I was actually just talking with my sister the other day and, um, and we were kind of talking about how there weren't a ton of times growing up where we could actually remember you know, dwelling on disparities or injustices that we saw. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of that was due to the fact that, you know, one, I had great friends. Um, sports, I think, really helped level the playing field for me. And it really opened doors for me to forge relationships with girls who didn't necessarily look like me. Um, but more importantly, I think my parents raised me in faith and gave me a foundation through which to look at the world 
um, with love. And they probably shielded me and my siblings from a lot of what was going on when we were younger. So I don't always think that I was aware of maybe hatred or racist attitudes towards me or my family. Um, in fact, I think the first time that I ever even realized I was a different color than my classmates was when in elementary school, a, a kid asked me if I tasted like chocolate. <laughs> and so I don't even think that, you know, I really realized. And I think that just speaks to the fact that, um, you know, prejudice is kind of learned. Um, it's not something that we're, we grow up with. I did never realize that I was different from uh, the kids in my class because they didn't treat me any differently for the most part. Um, so, you know, I think that um, still to this day, I don't think my parents have ever told me about all the racist encounters and backlash they received um, for choosing to raise three black kids. Um, but I know that now as an adult, especially with my own kids, now I'm more aware of it. So, um, you know, I think the attitude that they face life with really helped me becoming who I am and how I approach life being black. Um, they raised me to know that we're all created in God's image and that no life is greater than another and that I shouldn't really fight hate with more hate. So um, even today when I experience um, racism or prejudice, I really try to, I guess, kill them with kindness kind of philosophy and um, try to use every moment as like a teachable moment and try to change people's attitudes. You know, when you were talking about, um, you know, kind of living in love, like that rings so true to me because I feel like that's what you emanate just knowing you for the last seven years. Like that, that's, I think, what everybody feels. And I think you and your family are so beloved in St. Charles. And I think, you know, that's part of it, you know, it really, you know, you're, you're a great coach, but I think an even better leader and role model for the kids. Um, is there anything, you know, we were kind of mid conversation on Monday when we were talking about this, <laughs> it was like, so like, what do you experience now as an adult um, that, you know, when you encounter racism, what does that look like that we could maybe learn from? Yeah. So, I mean, there are things as small as, um, you know, I'll walk into a store and um, none of the, the store workers will say hello to me. It's almost like they're kind of intimidated by me. Um, but yet they will say hello to the, the white person walking in behind me. Or I will catch them, you know, glancing out of the corner of their eye. I've even been followed throughout a store before. You know, so I think that there are some deep underlining racist and prejudice attitudes and just, you know, in general fears that people have that are just so deeply ingrained um, that they don't even realize sometimes they're doing it. I think the worst, um, actually there's two things that really stand out to me is um, I was in a car driving in St. Charles with my white brother and we were pulled over and I was maybe going like five miles over the speed limit. But regardless of that, um, the officer wanted to check on my brother, who, like I said, is white. And she made him get out of the car. She asked him questions about, you know, whether or not he was okay. 
Um, my daughter was an infant in the back seat at the time. She asked me if I had any other children in the car, like maybe in the trunk. Could she look in the trunk? And so oh. that was like the wow. maybe one of the biggest times in my life that I was like, oh my gosh, I was just racially profiled. And for what? Like, I had no idea what or why. Um, and then, you know, I've had, obviously through sports, people say horrible things. Um, and just, you know, rooting for their team and against me um, and say some, you know, pretty mean and nasty things. But um, it's mostly the little stuff, I think, that people don't always recognize. The When I was getting ready to sell my house and my realtor said, you know, you need to take down all the pictures of you and your family. And I said, why? And she said, well, you know, people don't always like to buy from black families. You know, it's little stuff like that, that I don't think um, some of my white friends have experienced or even think about, you know, through all of this time. Um, a lot of my white friends have asked me, you know, do you really have to have that conversation with your kids about how to interact with police officers? And yeah, that is something that my husband and I talk about all the time. When are we going to have that conversation with our kids, especially our sons? Because, um, you know, black men are just so much more of, they're looked at so much more as a threat than black women. Um, so that's something that we, we talk about all the time. So it's little things that I think um, make my experience different um, and just things that, you know, don't always enter into the minds of some of my white friends. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, what worries you the most right now with everything going on? Yeah. Um, you know, I think the thing that I want to make very clear is that with everything that's going on, I'm way more hopeful than I am worrisome. Um, clearly something is happening right now. I mean, I think this is the most social unrest America has seen since probably the 60s. And I think what we're seeing is happening as a result of black people crying out for decades. Um, and so you're seeing these black people speak out just about how angry and frustrated and tired they are, that this has been the way that we've lived for years. And we've tried to voice that so many times and in so many ways, and it's kind of gone unheard. Mm -hmm. So I guess one of my worries is that I hope we continue to speak out. I hope this doesn't just fizzle out or become, you know, the Black Lives Matter Spirit Week, but mm -hmm. that this is a movement for long lasting change. Um, you know, I heard um, Jalen Rose, who's a famous basketball player and ESPN analyst, talk the other day um, and something he said really resonated with me and that was just how he said he wished America loved black people as much as they love black culture mm -hmm. and he said that for years people have kind of cherry-picked pieces of black culture like the music the fashion um, the dancing the sports mm -hmm. when it was convenient for them and mm -hmm. all that has led to this notion that black people has, have kind of always just served as this entertainment purpose. Mm -hmm. But we're so much more than that. And I hope mm -hmm. that this becomes a movement that shines light on all the other things that um, 
we are capable of and that we do for our country. And I hope that this becomes a movement where we finally see are seen as and treated as equals and not just cherry picked for, you know, what white America likes about our culture at any given moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think another thing that worries me, obviously, is the violence. Um, there's been a lot of violence surrounding this in the past couple of days. And I think it's really important for people to know that there are protesters and then there are rioters and instigators. And um, I think in my personal opinion, you know, the violence is taking away from the movement. I wish that we could focus more on the movement and the change. Um, I don't think that the looting and the threatening of police is solving anything really. I think it's just dividing us further. And yet at the same time, you know, I understand that people are very frustrated. And I think that there's a lot of things though that are converging, um, you know, with COVID-19. I think that that has really wreaked havoc on all of our lives, black or white. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are people who are acting out and taking advantage of this situation for a variety of reasons. You know, we've been cooped up in our houses and that can cause frustration and pent up anger. And, you know, there are people who have lost their jobs and experiencing financial distress. So, there are things that are working against the movement right now um, and things that are at play that I think are causing people to use this as an excuse and as a a time to express frustrations that have built up about other things in some violent ways. And so I don't want that to take away from the many, many people who are protesting peacefully and who really, really care about making a change. And, you know, like I said before, I'm so hopeful because I think that there are more of those out there than, you know, people who are just in it for revenge and violence. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think that those are the two big things that worry me. Um, You know, I think that through all of this, there are going to be a lot of really tough conversations that follow. Um, and that's one of the things that I think, um, when people have reached out to me, they have oftentimes, um, you know, expressed sorrowful, um, sentiments and anger and just, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't know that this was happening to you or that this is how you live your life. Um, but it's opened the door for a lot of tough conversations. And so I guess I kind of worry about people being willing to have those tough conversations because they are going to be hard and they are going to be somewhat awkward. But I think that people on both sides need to be open to listening to each other. Um, And so I hope that that is something that we can do. Yeah. Now, Lindsay, I know you're a teacher Mm -hmm. and what, uh, what advice would you give for other teachers and white educators um, in terms of being allies and advocates for students and and their families? You know, I think just the open door policy and the the old slogan, if you hear something or see something, say something. um, I think it's really important for um, students of color to know that somebody has their back And so I think that it's, um, you know, really, really important for educators to 
kind of stand by them and not tolerate any sort of discrimination. And, you know, for me as an educator, this time in our country, yes, it's about the Black Lives Matter movement, but it's about so much more. I think it's also about, you know, students who find themselves in any kind of minority um, mm -hmm. in their school and how they also need to have a voice. And I think that is so important is, um, opening up the opportunity for all these students to have some sort of voice and to um, express their frustrations and express uh, their, their hopes and desires and, you know, be able to incite some change. Wow. Um, I know one of the things that always frustrated me as a black student um, was when my teacher or when other you know, classmates would expect me to be the voice of all black people. Right. in my class. And um, that wasn't something that I wanted to do. That wasn't something that I was comfortable with. I was comfortable telling my story and my experiences, but I didn't ever want to speak out for everybody else. And so I think that that's something that we always have to be cautious with is making, and I even um, will catch myself um, correcting myself when I'm talking with, um, you know, students of uh, an Indian background or, you know, maybe Muslims or um, students from the LGBTQ community. So I'm always trying to make sure that I'm not um, putting them on the platform as the, the voice for all. Mm -hmm. I think that's really yeah. important for educators to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some really good suggestions. I mean, just kind of what stands out to me is it sounds like you really grew up with this very supportive family that really shielded you. Yeah. And I know you shared on Twitter, the article about the mom and when was she going to have the conversation with her black son? And yeah. you know, that just really hits home, but also that, you know, you really talk about all these little things. Mm -hmm. And I think as educators, like those are the things like we can have our students and their families um, have their back. Right. Start to really open our eyes to these little things. So yeah, that's just some really, really good um, things to think about and, and good takeaways, I think, for teachers. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, your point about the conversations and that it's opened. I know I've had tons of conversations and, you know, when all of this started, I was like, all right, I need to figure out, like, I obviously need to learn. I need to learn a lot. And so it was like, okay, how many podcasts? It's like, I've got that on. I'm having a lot of conversations. And I, that is the piece I love too, is that I feel like, you know, before sometimes it's easy to lose your voice if you're not sure, like you don't want to offend anybody. So right. you're like, I, you know, I'm not sure how to say that. So maybe I'm not going to say it, but right. um, I mean, I think like having conversations like this are super important because I think that's how we get, you know, get to know each other on a different level and, and understand from a different perspective Exactly. Um, something you might not have heard about before. Yep. So I'm anticipating in the fall and even now, you know, we have conversations with our colleagues and I'm thinking from kind of that colleague point of view, how can we be really supportive of our colleagues that are people of color? Mm -hmm. I think it's the same thing. Um, and I do really think that, um, you know, I've been really touched when um, my white friends have reached out to me and said, I didn't know this. Um, and uh, just like you said, Holly, I think that it's 
hard sometimes for people to do that because there is um, this admitting that they didn't know. Sometimes there's an apology behind it and that's hard for anyone. Um, So I think that that has been, it's really, really touched me. And I think that we have to, as a human race, be able to make ourselves vulnerable and say, I'm sorry. I did Mm -hmm. not know that this is how you feel. And if anything I ever did offended you, you know, that was not my intent. And again, I'm sorry. How can I change? Um, And it's going to require people just really being open um, and really being able to sit down and listen and not just be defensive. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one of the things that, you know, when I'm talking with some of my colleagues, um, they'll listen to some of my ideas about how maybe they can reach um, some of their students of color and they won't just be closed off to what I'm saying, um, but they'll really try to listen. And so that's some, that's one of the things that I appreciate most about some of the people that I work with is they just, they'll come to me and they'll be open and say, you know, I don't get it. So can you help me understand? And I think that that's really important. I love that. Yeah. And I think, you know, that it's like these people that when you work with you know, these colleagues, like they become such good friends and it's easy to just like think, oh, well, you know, they're, they're just like me, but understanding that they've had other experiences and actually that probably offers some expertise too. So that's really awesome. Um, Lindsay, is there anything that else that you want to add that we haven't talked about yet today? No, I think I just, um, you know, like I said before, I'm so, so hopeful. Um, Like you said, we got to be at an event the other night where we were with a ton of people kneeling and, um, you know, the majority of those people were white and the majority of those people were young kids, Mm -hmm. um, high school and college age kids. And I think that is um, something that I was just so moved by because we need the youth. Um, This movement needs the youth. And listening to them talk about how moved and compelled they were to make a change was truly amazing. Um, You know, the other thing that's really touched me is, like I said, my my white friends reaching out, um, my my white family reaching out to express sorrow, anger, um, apologies for not understanding, um, and just really offering sentiments of support and promises to learn more and to, to educate their children. And I think for me, that's like the biggest thing. I don't want to get emotional, but, um, you know, I've lived a life, um, where I have experienced some of those disparities and injustices, but I want better for my children. And I think that's why, um, I really, have felt compelled to speak out is because I need to make this better for my kids. So sorry. <laughs> no, <laughs> like you said, I mean, I I feel like I'm teary too, and it, it just you know I I think that's you sharing your story like that, and that the um, Facebook article that you shared was like I think it was talking about you know when am I going to have to have this conversation with my son or also like when does my son go from being cute and innocent to possibly a criminal and I thought when I read that I was like oh like teary and just this is like no mom should have to feel that way so um yeah this is super powerful um we are so grateful 
for you coming on with us today and talking to you is always amazing, but I think this conversation was incredibly helpful for Julie and I, and I think hopefully our listeners, um, kind of just so that we're on this path of knowing better so that we can do better. So thank you so much, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I mean, I think that it's awesome that you guys were open enough to just have this conversation and invite me to have it with you. So I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. We just, it's, you know, like you said, it's just about like starting to have conversations and listen to each other yeah. and, you know, just gain understanding and reach out. And I think, you know, everything is anchored in love, which is why, you know, as parents that gives us like Holly and I, we talk about, you know, our emotions and, you know, as a parent, when something is threatening your child, yeah, there's nothing brings a, a lot of power and uh, and purpose. And I think you know, teachers work with children, and like you said, it's the we need the youth, mm-hmm. and teachers can play a big part in that. So, yeah, we just we really appreciate um, hearing your story. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So if you have any comments about today's show, you can contact us via email at riseforeducators at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter and Instagram. We look forward to hearing from you. Thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, Join us next Monday as we explore the S in RISE for social. And we're going to talk about um, how we can have some of these difficult conversations, and especially if they're disagreements. Um, So until then, have a great week.